This debate is occurring because of uh, the Supreme Court's ruling that said that uh, we must conduct ourselves under the common Article Three of the Geneva Convention. And that common Article Three says that you know, there will be no outrages upon human dignity. It's, 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 like, it's very vague. What does that mean? Outrages upon human dignity. That's a statement that uh, is wide open to interpretation. Welcome to Amnesty TV. In this episode, comedian Eric Lampere reads books on the bog and Cassette Boy gets the Prime Minister of Israel to play the pipes of peace. But first, a quick game of hide and seek. Quiz time, Gaddafi special. He's been run out of his compound in Tripoli and his family have fled to Algeria. But Colonel Gaddafi is nowhere to be seen. Where, oh, where could he be? If you look hard, you might just spot him hiding right here in Amnesty TV. Find out at the end of the show. I'm deeply honored to say this. There is a new dawn of peace in the Middle East. So I'm saying today something that should be said publicly. I speak on behalf of the Jewish people and the Jewish state when I say I want to see the day when Israelis and Palestinians can live together in peace, prosperity, and security with human rights and dignity, respected and protected. I don't laugh. I, you see, I want you to stop for a second and think about that. I promise you this, I'm willing to embrace President Abbas because we stand together to advance peace with such a partner. I will be prepared to go to movie theaters, restaurants, so I say to President Abbas, you shine like a bright star in the heart of the Middle East. Because I believe that no one is better than you. I'm deeply moved by it. The Palestinian president, President Abbas, thank you. Thank you for your unwavering support for Israel. Israel has no better friend than the Palestinians. And the Palestinians have no better friend than Israel. half the books that are written these days. It's amazing, we have all the pens and all the paper in the world and yet it doesn't really help us to write any better. Bizarrely, some of the best stuff has been written on this sort of thing. Toilet paper. Prisoners have gone to incredible lengths to write books behind bars. It's as if the less freedom of movement you have, the more freedom of expression you need. It's true. Typewriters, computers, 
great, but they're for amateurs. Here is the most ingenious way of writing a masterpiece if you find yourself locked up in a dungeon as a prisoner of conscience. Nelson Mandela, right, he smuggled messages out of his island cell on toilet paper in tiny coded script. Unbelievable. He started his autobiography like that, I think. A long walk to freedom. It was described as soft and strong and 280,000 words long. Guantanamo prisoners held without charge, like journalist Sami Al-Hajj, uh, scratched poetry onto styrofoam cups. Guantanamo does have its own Starbucks, it does, right? Now, wannabe novelists, they will probably go for a sort of venti-sized uh, mocha latte, while the uh, aspiring poets would opt for a shorter double macchiato, because it's smaller, because poems are smaller, and then novels are bigger. That's what, it's just a joke, it's just a joke. Imprisoned poet Jack Mapenji wrote on his malaria pills in Malawi. Da Vinci Code author Dan Brown, he tried a similar thing with some paracetamol, but then he had to take them after reading back all the rubbish he'd just written. Prisoners often scratch on the walls of their cells, which must do nothing good for their nails. And sometimes they can suffer from writer's block as well, or as it's known on the inside, uh, the constant fear of being shanked. Prisoners of conscience are still writing like this today, and it's not much fun, or very easy, and there's no spell checker. So go on this link, pick up a proper pen, or you know, do something to help them out, please. Welcome to Amnesty News. Amnesty International's campaign against cluster bombs had a major success last week when the Royal Bank of Scotland agreed to stop lending money to any firms that make the banned weapons. More than 10,000 people have emailed RBS's chief executive since Amnesty's campaign began. Cluster bombs kill and maim thousands of people, mostly children, long after conflicts have ended. Other high street banks, such as Barclays and Lloyds, are still investing in cluster bomb companies. Chris Atkins recently travelled to Laos to make a film for Amnesty TV about the effects of cluster bombs. He said RBS's decision showed that if you kick up enough of a fuss, you can make a difference. Amnesty International has accused the Sudanese government of getting away with murder after researchers saw government planes bombing civilians in the Nuba Mountains region. At least 26 villagers have been killed in recent weeks, according to Amnesty and Human Rights Watch. Many more have been injured. Researchers from the two organisations witnessed government planes dropping bombs on villages. Amnesty's senior crisis response advisor, Donatella Rivera, said the international community and particularly the UN Security Council must stop looking the other way and act to address the situation. This week, blind Chinese human rights activist Chen Guangcheng and his family will have spent a year under house arrest. His crime? Giving legal advice to poor people on how to fight illegal forced abortions and sterilizations, which affect thousands of women in China. Chen has already spent four years in prison. The family's house is surrounded by security men, floodlights and cameras. There's no sign that the persecution will stop. Amnesty is demanding the local authorities free Chen and his family now. To find out how you can help, follow the link at the bottom of the screen. 
I'm Bridget Nzeku, and that's the Amnesty News. Many countries, including the UK, have called for tougher UN sanctions against Syria's President Bashar al-Assad in a bid to stop the violent crackdown on protesters. But all these people are preventing an end to the bloodshed. Here are 88 reasons why they should reconsider. All these people have recently been killed while in detention in Syria. Former head of Palestinian security for Yasser Arafat, Jabril Rajoub has been a leading figure in Palestinian political life for many years. His activities got him sentenced to life imprisonment in Israel and he was later deported for his role in the first intifada. Now he heads up the Palestinian Football Federation and Palestinian Olympic Committee. Rajoub sees football as one of the tools available for achieving an independent Palestinian state. I am looking for national achievements. I want to expose my cause through the promoting uh, men and women football. I want the whole world to see Palestine through sport eyes. His greatest investment has been in the national women's team. Shouldering much of this responsibility is midfielder Jacqueline Jaswari, known to everyone as Jacko. Here's my favorite window, the favorite view. I can see uh, half of Jerusalem, not a settlement there. And here is Bejara the place where I live and I uh, work in school. I love this country, yeah. You can see also from here Bethlehem, and here is Bejada, and there we have Jerusalem. We just see Jerusalem without going there. <laughs> oh, I will not take this one, will I? Allah. I'll take everything. Yalla, going to training. The women are training on a small pitch near Jacko's home in Bejada in the occupied West Bank. Practicing in Ramallah would mean trying to cross the Israeli wall. We have some girls from uh, Jerusalem, from Jenin, from Jericho. We have checkpoints, uh, really hard. I, I love dignity. If I know that there will be Israeli soldiers, I will not go this way. I can't let anyone scream on me or tell me, don't go from here, go from here. I don't like this. But this often stressful ordeal is sometimes unavoidable when pursuing their wider aim, international recognition. Football is one of the uh, elements to achieve the statehood and the nationhood. And I do believe that we are achieving through a friendly international game rather than anything else. The team is in Jordan to complete for a place in the 2012 London Olympics and the pressure is on for the women of this aspiring state to prove themselves on the pitch. We are here to represent Palestine and not ourselves only. So we have to win with our team spirit for our country. active in the resistance. We were fighting together, men and women. And I think that the Palestinian women 
contributed to the Palestinian resistance, to the Palestinian cause, not less than men. The score was 1-1 uh, and it's, uh, it was really amazing uh, game because they saw really great results from us. The team didn't qualify for London, but heading back to Palestine, just playing abroad as a national squad felt like victory enough. Here is our role here to make us far away from other people. And that's why we are going outside, representing our country in the best way ever. So we are really happy for that. We can do something from nothing, despite this fact. We are facing it and we resist it. One day it will be removed. Palestinian girls not like other girls in the whole world. The Palestinian girl is a defender and a fighter also. Like Nadine and Sarab when they play outside. We had in the championship a nickname for our team. We just said that, hey girls, we have to win in this game. We are the fearless tigers. <laughs> the fearless tigers of Palestine. Did you spot fugitive Libyan dictator Colonel Gaddafi in this week's show? Here he is, large as life, driving a cab through the streets of Edinburgh. Well, with his assets frozen and his compound overrun, he's got to make a living somehow. See you next time. Is this woman's morbid depression down to the key role she played in the global financial meltdown? Or has she realised that the episodes of Amnesty TV she missed were available on iTunes all along? Either way, you can avoid similar feelings of loss at amnesty.org.uk slash iTunes. Sunshine lollipops and